Okay, great. Uh, we're finishing up a series that we've been going through titled, it's right there. It should be pretty easy, right? It's right there. Contemplative spirituality. I know the emphasis is a hard way to like say, which way do you go, right? So uh, contemplative spirituality, and we have specifically uh, geared ourselves towards a few specific spiritual disciplines, and maybe some of the non-traditional ones that we would talk about previously, or maybe you've gone through or personally studied or practiced or participated in, but ones that specifically will slow us down a little bit more, maybe a little bit more reserved uh, in a season, in a time that can seem quite chaotic, we thought this is probably pretty fitting uh, that we would focus on topics like this. Uh, so we have talked about scripture reading and the daily rhythm of what it means to just go through scripture. And Alan gave this great picture about allowing the word of God to shower over us, right? About the, the consistency, or he even used that picture of like, like mining for gold, right? And just that little bit, you just do a little bit at a time, you know, a daily shower of scripture to keep us clean and healthy uh, and smelling nice spiritually. So that daily rhythm, we then talked about a weekly rhythm of having a Sabbath and instilling Sabbath into our lives. This time where we take apart everything else of life that we feel we need to do or to create and we just be still before the Lord. So this daily habit, this weekly habit. And then Kim told us all about her speeding tickets and about slowing down, slowing down to having loving union with the Lord. And then last week, we talked about uh, going through the narrative of God's word in our life, holistically, in our journey, in our walk of faith with him. And we began the semester going through these wonderful scenes and portraits of Jesus meeting with people, dwelling among his people, and specifically highlighted unique situations where he was one-on-one, face-to-face with people, close and in union and intimate with these people. This, this idea that God came to dwell with us, this truth, the gospel, that God came to dwell with us. And so we respond with this series of how we then too can dwell with the Lord daily, weekly, regular rhythms of slowing down and being with Jesus. God's desire is to be with us. His desire is for us to be with him. And so going through this series of of spiritual disciplines and spiritual practices, I'm always hesitant to some degree discussing and talking from a a place like this where there isn't really a conversation back and forth, where it's just like a teaching or preaching time about spiritual disciplines and spiritual practices, because I have some concerns. So I want to get some of these concerns out of the way before we conclude our series. You good with it? Okay, great. So one of my concerns is this. We live in a society, and it is very true here as well, because I know many of you, and many of you have shared this with me, is when things don't go exactly the way as planned, or things aren't perfect, or I'm not good enough at doing it to the best ability, there's no point of even trying at all. And we feel that way. If I cannot perfect it, then why even try to begin with if it's not going to be perfect? You know what I'm talking about? Our society has that here in this culture too at this school. We have that a bit, that perfectionism, that if I'm not going to do it perfect, why even bother to begin with? Because I'm going to feel guilty if I don't do it one day. So we just avoid it altogether. 
And so I have a hard time talking about spiritual disciplines because we don't get to have that conversation back and forth. And so I struggle with that a bit, which is why we've like legitimately use the words practice instead of just disciplines. Because yes, there's a saying that practice makes, yeah, but it's not true, right? Practice doesn't make perfect. It makes improvements and that's wonderful, but it doesn't make perfect. So we need to kibosh this idea of perfecting it. You with me? Okay, great. The other thing that I have a difficulty talking and teaching about spiritual practices, we're going to use that word, practices, is because we can get caught up in trying to perfect the practice that we can miss the person of Jesus. You know what I'm talking about? That we focus so hard on the discipline and on the practice that we actually forget the reason why we're doing it in the first place. And we think if we just perfect the spiritual discipline, that I will become this holy, righteous person and everything will be good and in control and my life will be glorious. But the goal of spiritual practices and disciplines is not just to to complete them. Like to Sabbath, the, the purpose and reason and the goal of Sabbath is not just to Sabbath. It's not the goal of it. The goal of reading scripture isn't just to read scripture. The goal of praying isn't just to pray. And John Mark Comer talks about this. And I love what he says. He says, my main fear with spiritual practices is radical individualism and project self. Oh, right? My main fear with spiritual practices is radical individualism and project self. It's like this Christianized version of just making a better me. A better me, a nicer me, a happier me. And we just instill these Christian values into making just me a better person. That's not what spiritual practices are about at all. And John Mark says they are to usher us more into his kingdom and into a union with God. It's into a loving relationship and union with Jesus. And so I love, I love to Sabbath. I've really enjoyed to Sabbath. But there's been times where I've had to remind myself, right, it's not just for me to complete a Sabbath. It's to usher me into this intimate moment of loving union with Jesus. And so I like having that in a conversation more than I like in just preaching about it. And so with that being said, we're going to talk about another somewhat spiritual practice. This one isn't technically a practice, but there are some multiple practices that we can really put together to receive a blessing from God. And so what I want to do is I want to open up first to the book of Jeremiah, and we're going to read from chapter 17. So if you've got your Bibles, open up to Jeremiah 17. I'll also have it up on the screen there. I used my uh, slideshow from when I did my Sabbath and I had a rhythm of rest and I totally forgot to erase that part in the slideshow, but it still kind of works because we're going to talk about rhythms. So I'm happy I made that mistake. Okay, Jeremiah 17 says this. This is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man who draws strength from mere flesh and whose heart turns away from the Lord. That person will be like a bush in the wastelands. They will not see prosperity when it comes. They will dwell in the parched places of the desert in a salt land where no one lives. 
Verse seven, but blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. Lord, would you, uh, would our ears be open to hear what you have to say? Spirit, I know that you are present. I know that you are here. I know that you desire to, to be with us and to teach us and to instruct us. I'm convinced of that. I believe that. And Lord, would we uh, be receptive to what you want to share with us this evening? Convict our hearts, convict our minds. And I pray that it would cause us to respond into loving union with you. In your name. Everybody said, amen. Okay, so we're talking about blessings. So the title of my message, I Pinterested this one. Count your blessings, not your problems. Hey, write it down. Count your blessings, not your problems. Because it's way easier often to do the second one than the prior one. Right? Count your blessings, not your problems. So we're talking about blessings tonight. And again, again, it's not like a, a spiritual practice. Counting your blessings definitely could be a spiritual practice, a regular reminder of the blessings of God, the promises of God in our lives would be a very wonderful spiritual practice to do on a very regular basis. Uh, And we're going to talk about blessing tonight, what it means to be blessed. It's a funny topic. There's a lot to it. Uh, And so we're going to like start wide and then we're going to narrow right in. Uh, And so kind of a funnel approach to this evening. So here we go, starting wide. Blessing. Some descriptions for the word blessing or to be blessed. In the Old Testament, the main word, the main Hebrew word for blessing is Baruch. And it's actually more applied to God in the concept of giving adoration and praise to God. Like, blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the Lord, right? So that concept of sense of, of praise and adoration. It is also used towards man and the, specifically the definition uh, of man, it would be like in favor, like God grants favor, happiness, and living according to God's approval. And sometimes we hear like teaching of like, God doesn't want you to be happy, right? He wants you to like be surrendered and obedient. And there's, yeah, there's truth that he wants us to be surrendered and obedient, but in his blessings that he desires to give us, there is an element of happiness and welfare that we'll get into specifically because our, our, our worldly understanding of happiness is different than our biblical understanding of happiness. So in Genesis, God blesses creation. He blesses both creation and man and woman, blesses Adam and Eve. And he says, I will bless you and I will make a great name for you so that you will be a blessing to others. This blessing that he gives to Adam and Eve is associated with happiness and welfare. God blesses his people also through Abraham. He says, I will surely bless you. I will surely multiply your offspring. And And he adds in that like Abrahamic covenant that the blessing is due to obedience of following his commands. So blessing is a follow-through, a follow-up to obedience to God's commands. It's both in the Abrahamic and the Mosaic covenants. And God isn't the only one who blesses. There's also, we see in Scripture, where humans bless one another. One of the earliest accounts of it uh, is... With Rebecca, she's about to be married to Isaac, and so her family blesses her. 
And they say to her, our sister, may you become thousands of 10,000s. And there's this, you can hear already with, with Adam and Eve and with Abraham and here with Rebecca, there's this blessing of, of welfare, of wealth in children and family, like health for your kids and growth for your kids and influence for your children and your family to grow. The value of family was large, huge, extreme. That was top, that value of like healthy, growing, loving family expanding out. There's a lot of happiness in that. There's a lot of welfare in that. Also in Isaac, when he was close to death in that like dramatic scene of the blessing with Jacob and Esau, you know what I'm talking about? He says, may God, he says to Jacob, may God give you of heaven's dew and earth's riches an abundance of grain and new wine. And may those who bless you be blessed. So this, this welfare and wealth and prosperity do come alongside in God's blessings. But there's a bit of tampering too that I know many of you have probably experienced and have heard about God's blessings and prosperity and wealth because there's a bit of a, like a perversion of God's blessing in many churches, in many prosperity gospel-centered churches about like thwarting God's concept of blessing and, and making it selfish and making it only about personal gain and monetary growth. And so because that has happened, I think many Christians have like pushed against even the concept of blessing or welfare at all because they're just afraid to get sucked into that teaching of prosperity. You know what I'm talking about? But there is a sense of welfare and of satisfaction and favor and, and happiness that God desires in our lives. Other blessings in the Old Testament. Blessed is the man whom God corrects. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Blessed are those who have learned to praise you. I really like that one. That'd be a great sermon series. Blessed is the one who has learned to praise you. The blessing of the Lord brings wealth, right there. If you return to the Almighty, you will be blessed. Isn't that awesome? Right, I've gone astray. But if I return back, I am going to experience his blessing. What a promise. Happy are those who respect the Lord and obey him. You will enjoy what your, excuse me, you will enjoy what your work for you. I didn't write that down properly. Happy are those who respect the Lord and obey him. You will enjoy the work that you have and you will be blessed with good things. Blessed are those who dwell in the house of worship. Blessed are those who maintain justice. So this welfare, this good fortune, this righteousness and happiness. Into the New Testament, we get the Greek word makarus has a really strong spiritual component and it means following along in that happiness and fortune and to be blessed. Uh, Yuliogi <laughs> focuses on good words, a good report to bless and to praise. That's where we get our English word eulogy that we usually have at a funeral. And there's a good report or a blessing of a person, okay? And blessings in the New Testament. Quickest one that I thought of, of course, the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, those who mourn, the meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. 
Blessed are the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Blessed are those when people insult you and say evil against you because of Christ. Blessed are those who have not taken offense. Blessed are those who have persevered in trials. And if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Okay, that took a bit of a turn, right? Like we're talking welfare and health and happiness and favor. Now we're going to the poor and the meek who mourn, who are persecuted and who are insulted and who suffer. But our culture's understanding of happiness is very different than our biblical understanding of happiness. You'd agree with that, right? Culture's understanding of happiness, I think, would be the gaining, the simplicity of life, that there's no problems. Life is just simple. I have lots of money. I have all of my needs met. There are little to no wants that I have. And if I have little to no wants, that means I'm just happy. I'm content. Life is easy, simplified, and good. But being blessed is It's not just that. There's so much more to it than that. And there's danger that we fall into in the trap to thinking that our level of contentment or financial gain or relational health or even marriage and career and feeling of purpose and feeling of want, what level all those seem to be fulfilled would actually state how much God blesses us. Like we get into trouble thinking that way. That God's blessing is only to the existence of my understanding of what I think I have. Oh, doesn't that just give you a bad taste in your mouth? That so many people, and I, so many people, and I've even caught myself saying this, where something bad happens and I'm like, oh, the Lord hates me. Anybody ever say that? <laughs> right? Yeah, I've said that before. I'm like, oh, the Lord definitely hates me. He didn't give me this one, Right? Like that I would actually think that what I have in gain is ultimately dependent on how much God is really truly going to bless me or not. Like how selfish is that kind of thinking? But we do that, right? We do that. We do that with relationships. Does this person like me? Does this person not like me? Is that boy interested in me? Is that girl checking me out? And those feelings of like, ooh, I, might, I must mean something. Oh, this must, be, this must be God's blessing. This must be God's favor. I'm, I'm happy. And we, and we trick ourselves to thinking that God's blessing is solely just prosperity and solely just opportunity and ease. It's so much more. God's blessings are meant to protect us. God's blessings are meant to guide us. God's blessings are a path of righteousness and give us hope. So the happiness that that God desires out of his blessing in our life is more regarding righteousness than personal gain. More regarding righteousness than personal gain. Welfare is good. Health, well-being, favor, happiness, living in accordance to God's approval. So blessing has less to do with earthly riches and more to do with eternal righteousness. More to do with eternal righteousness. Okay, so what does that mean for today? What does that mean for right now? How then can I receive God's blessing if it is less to do with earthly riches and more to do with that eternal righteousness? 
What can I do in this moment today to receive God's blessing, to be a part of God's favor, to be a part of what he desires to give and impart onto us in accordance to his will? There's some practices that we can put into place to enjoy union with God, to enjoy his favor and this biblical happiness. Okay, so in our, in our verse, Jeremiah uh, chapter 17, there's this real like night and day, like stark contrast that Jeremiah uh, speaks of <laughs> in this one. He starts off and he says, cursed, this is what the Lord says, cursed is the one who trusts in man. That's harsh. Cursed, downfall. It's going to go bad for you. Not good in any way, shape, or form. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh. Where do you draw your strength from? Like if you would take a moment, take a breath in, and a breath out, and think, okay, what was my last 24 hours? Where did I draw my strength from? What was my last seven days? If I'm honest with myself, vulnerable in this moment, truly answering this question, where did I draw my strength from this week? There's moments when we're weak, right? Where we're tired. We're in need of rejuvenation. We're in need of being refreshed. Where do you find, where do you draw your strength from? And this is like, you know, cursed is the one who draws from man, like the ways of the world. But it also means just like themselves, who just find strength in and of themselves. And and this is much of our world. Like I just got to get down and hunker down and grind and I'm just going to fix this thing. I'm the one who's got to be in control. Where are you drawing your strength from? Are you, are you drawing your strength uh, from food? Are you drawing your strength from the ability to just turn on a computer and watch show after show of Amazon Prime or Netflix? Are you drawing strength from, you know, the interest of a boy or a girl in your life? Are you drawing your strength from, you know, the feeling of being wanted? Even often too, we, we, we draw our strength from just feeling like a, a purpose in life. I know we talk about purpose and purpose is wonderful and good, but we can often idolize purpose and think that that's what's given me life is just that. You know what I'm talking about? Where do you draw your strength from? Are you drawing your strength just from sleep? Like sleep is good. But we need more than just sleep. Are you drawing your strength from mere man or from the Lord who gives all these gifts of food and sleep and Sabbath? Cursed is the one who draws strength from mere flesh. NLT says, uh, who rely on human strength. Human strength, that, that trust in in relationships and money and job, just what we can kind of around us just fix and complete and accomplish. Is that where I'm finding my strength? 
scripture, it says, uh, they are like a bush in a wasteland, like a stunted shrub is in another translation. That's the, the, the picture, like a bush in a wasteland is like a person who draws strength from themselves, from the ways of this world. And the picture I get is like a tumbleweed, right? That old Western picture of a tumbleweed that's just like floating along in the distance in like a dry, barren wasteland. Like that's the picture that I get with this. They're like a bush in a wasteland. They will not see prosperity when it comes. They will dwell in the parched places of the desert in a salt land where no one lives. And in NLT, it says like a stunted shrub. Ugh. Like a, this is short, stunted, good for nothing shrub, right? And so I think of those those um, tumbleweeds. And what they do, the tumbleweed, they have short roots in the ground, short, shallow roots. And a little gust of wind pulls that tumbleweed out of the ground, like the littlest thing, pushes them away. And then they wander, like they meander by like the little breezes of wind that push them around wherever they go, bumping into things. And And they drop their seeds and they drop all their leaves because they're just trying to survive. So they just cast everything that's causing any extra weight or stealing any water or nutrients. They just drop it all because they're just trying to survive in that moment. Cursed is the man who trusts only in mere human strength. That tumbleweed bumps into things and they drop their seed, and they miss all that's going around them. Like a person like this is similar to a tumbleweed, being unproductive in this life, blowing around aimlessly, just dropping things because they can't handle anymore just to survive. They're distracted. They're focused only on themselves. They can't see any things around them. That's That's the curse. They're only solely focused on themselves and they will not see the prosperity. They will not see the blessedness. They will not see those around them because they're solely just trying to survive. They become dry and they don't have anything left to give. And what's even worse is that when God moves in to dwell with his people, they miss it. They don't see it because they have to drop everything just to survive because they're too focused on themselves. Too often we're not blessed because we've gone our own way and have disconnected ourselves from the Lord on a regular basis. Then in verse seven, this but, and whenever you see the B-U-T word in scripture and that stark contrast, it's a word of hope, honestly. Like it is a word of hope because I'll be honest, I've been on that side with the shallow roots of the tumbleweed dropping seed because I'm just trying to survive and bumping around and missing everything around me. I've been there, but there is a but here. (laughs) and It's full of hope. It's full of hope, honestly. But blessed is the one who trusts In the Lord, the contrast of what is terrible, cursed, we don't want this, we don't desire this. It is dry, barren wasteland, but there is hope. There is hope and a promise that God has provided in the one who trusts 
in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. So again, breathe in. Breathe out. Where do you find your confidence? Think about your last 24 hours. Think about your last seven days. Where do you find your confidence? Do you find it on a good hair day? I don't anymore. <laughs> Although I, uh, I, I did have a compliment on my beard uh, the other week, and I felt pretty good. I was... Uh, uh, we got a new, that's good, Kath. <laughs> uh, we got a new couch. We got a new couch. And so I got a trailer and then I, I got rid of our old couch and I took it to the dump. And you know how like you go to the dump and there's like the weigh scale and the person gives you a card, you drop off your stuff and then you weigh the scale on the other side. That lady that was in like the little tin hut, she complimented my beard. And I was like, hey, yeah, that was unexpected and nice. <sighs> Where do you find your confidence? Do you find it in people's compliments of you? Do you find it in new clothes? Come on, it feels good when you're wearing new clothes, right? <laughs> I hate how good it feels, actually, when you wear new clothes. Like new socks, it feels good. I have confidence when I'm wearing new socks. I'm being honest here. <laughs> but where do you find your confidence? Is it in someone's, like, compliment of you? Is it in accomplishments that you do? Maybe it's a job that you have. Maybe it's money that you've saved. Maybe it's a really good GPA. All can be wonderful things. Maybe it's an interest of another person. We've talked about that before. What people think or say about you, is that where you find your confidence? And I use these examples because I see every week almost people lose their confidence because of these things. Every week, it breaks, it breaks our heart. We see it every week. People lose their confidence. This person doesn't like me. Confidence lost. I'm never going to get what they get. Confidence lost. I'm not as fit as what our culture classifies as fit. Confidence lost. These are real situations. I'm about to graduate. And I don't have a clue what I'm going to do for work or career or ministry. Confidence lost. I'm about to graduate and I haven't found a spouse yet. Confidence lost. Like some of it's fun, but honestly, it breaks my heart. It breaks my heart. Cursed is whom relies on mere human strength. But blessed is the one who's made the Lord their hope and their confidence. The Lord, their hope and their confidence. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. Where are you sending out your roots? Love that picture. Love that image. Where are you drawing that water from? Where are you sending out your roots? Okay, someone say amen to this. Divine sovereignty is always coupled with human responsibility. Thank you. Come on, divine sovereignty is always coupled with human responsibility. Established in the Abrahamic covenant, established in the Mosaic covenant, 
established in the Christ covenant and our new covenant. Blessed is the one who sends his roots to the living water. I thought of this portrait that we talked about with the man at the pool of Bethesda, right? If I just get to the water, oh man, life is gonna be good. If I just get to that bubbling pool first before everybody else, then I will be healed. Then I will be good. Let's make it into our context here. If I just get to the end of this semester, then I'm gonna be good. Who said that? If I just get, and Jesus is saying, how about you just come to me? Just come to me. Place your trust, place your hope, place your confidence in me. Oh, we so often we just turn our relationship with Jesus into something God just never intended. It's not just about completing and perfecting. It's about surrendering and dwelling and finding loving union with Jesus. So it says uh, in verse, what is it, eight here? They are like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and it never fails to bear fruits. In the NLT, it says, such trees are not bothered by the heat or worried by long months of drought. Not bothered. I like those words. Not bothered by the heat. And I instantly thought back of that picture of my boys in the summer, right? That heat dome we had and camping and just exhausted they were, right? I thought about that. Like, oh, that was hot. And so here in this passage, like there's a foreground promise and then there's a background truth to this statement. So the promise is this, that we will have no fear, that we will not be bothered. Blessed are those who put their trust in the Lord. They will not be bothered. They will have no fear and no worries. That's the promise. The background truth is that there will be heat and there will be yearly drought in life. There will be times, there will be seasons where it is hot and it is hard and it feels dry and barren and spiritually it feels like maybe I have been in a year of drought in 2021. And it says, such trees will not be bothered in the heat. They will have no worries by long months of drought. Their roots will not be like the tumbleweed that's shallow, that gets pushed over in a moment of of a, a little quick breeze, but they will be dug down deep near a, in a very healthy soil, near a water stream that will withhold when heat is happening, that will be strong and confident when there is seasons of drought in our lives, that will actually not try and not push off all its leaves and its seed because it's strong and finding its strength in the Lord, not in man. And so they will actually continue to stay green and to stay healthy and to stay strong, producing fruit. And it may not be actually like the time of harvesting fruit, but there will be years like throughout the seasons of new budding and growth and development. So learning something new and growing in new knowledge and experience in loving union with the Lord and then seeing fruit produced. 
And the way that we can know if the tree is healthy is by knowing of the fruit that we see from it. So same with us. How can we assess ourselves? What's been the fruit that I've produced in the last 24 hours? What's the fruit that I have produced in the last seven days? Where am I finding my confidence in? Where am I drawing for a strength or a source of strength? <clears throat> because heat comes, seasons of drought happen. James 1 He says, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood that test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord promised to those who love him. There's that divine sovereignty coupled with human responsibility. Come on, nothing in life that's worth it is easy. Amen? Come on, nothing in life that is worth it is easy. There's going to be hard times. But as we persevere, as we find our source from the Lord, from our time with Jesus and loving union with the Savior, not from the ways of this world or from our own efforts and strengths, but with Jesus, that we can handle any heat, we can handle any pandemic, we can handle anything that gets thrown our way, difficult semesters or difficult times, we can handle it. And we can still be producing fruit and growing and seeing health and welfare and happiness and favor in these seasons of life. Uh, I pretty much quote him like every time uh, I have a sermon. (laughs) Uh, Can you guess who it is yet? Rich, my buddy Rich, (laughs) Rich Velotis. He says, a sad irony, I may have quoted this before, the sad irony of our day is that we can be deeply committed to being a Christian, but not be deeply formed by Christ. Oh, we can go to church, we can be a part of a ministry, we can serve and care for people, be a part of church activities and groups, we can go to Bible college, and we can still forget about Jesus. Ugh, isn't that crazy? We can still forget about Jesus. So we began this semester highlighting that Jesus came to dwell with us because we felt so convicted that in a season of COVID and everything came about, oh, we have to shift programs and shift styles and shift the way we do things. And we came so focused on so much of our discussion was about, okay, programs and how do we do this and how do we do that? And I just felt so convicted. We both felt just so heartbroken that we just, we got to focus on Jesus as our source. And so we pictured these they talked about these portraits and these pictures of Jesus dwelling with his people, his desire to be with his people and our response. So here we can in these spiritual practices to be with Jesus. So my heart for you, for every single one of you at this school, and thanks for those who are just coming for chapel because it's for you too. I've been praying for this, like this year, personally holding a lot of things close to my heart specifically about wanting to be people who are steadfast that in whatever circumstance, whatever breeze or storm or weather or flood that happens, that we will be people who are steadfast. That our, our strength, the source that we receive from is those roots to the living water, to that stream, to the Lord, and not to mere human strength at all. That it would be Jesus in everything that we do. And so I prayed at the beginning of the year, and I'm gonna invite the band, you guys can come on up, and we're gonna spend some time in like tangibly responding to this. 
I've been praying for this year to not just be encouraged, uh, but to be edified. Like I want this year to be a year that we, we find edification. Anybody remember that at the beginning of the year, that a prayer of mine in our first chapel service after 400 and something days? Like I wanted to, to have a, a body of believers who would edify one another, not just encourage, but build each other up, strengthen each other in the promises and the blessings of the Lord that would be steadfast and deeply rooted. So I prayed for this. And uh, a student that night shared a scripture with me in our first chapel service. This was the scripture that they shared with me that night. And I felt so convicted. Okay, at some point, I need, to, I need to preach on this passage. And just throughout the semester, it was like, I was drawn to this, drawn to this constantly. Cursed is the one who trusts in man. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord. And with this, this spiritual, like contemplative spirituality series of trying to find ways that we slow down, we build daily habits into our lives of scripture reading, weekly habits into our lives of Sabbath and finding the narrative of God in our life through scripture, we still get so distracted and forget and miss. It can be like that tumbleweed that just kind of goes around and is just trying to survive. But there is hope that we have. That even if you may be in a season that might be a drought or seem a bit barren, or you're just feeling like you're trying to survive, the Lord has a promise for you that he is inviting you into. That but word is an invite. It's an invite of hope. It means you don't have to stay in that barren, dry, salty wasteland. That you can actually come into oh, the life-giving, fresh, living water where we draw strength from the Lord and receive his favor and his happiness and his welfare and his blessing. And so I'm going to get you guys to stand with me. The ultimate blessing is that Christ came to dwell with us. That's the ultimate blessing. And that God has given us new life and forgiveness that comes through faith in Jesus. And that blessed life is available for you, wherever you're at. It's available for you and to you. So what I want to do is I want to offer this moment here at this altar before we conclude the evening to provide a space for you to contemplate how have you been doing? Where are you on that barren wasteland season of drought? Are you shedding things or are your leaves green and producing fruit? Because there is an invite of hope for you to take and I don't want you to miss it. And so we're gonna, we're gonna sing, we're gonna pray. Honestly, you can walk around on the sides and up front here. I'd really appreciate some movement around to give you a time and space to dwell with Jesus your focus, to keep Jesus your center, to find strength from him as your source. Let's pray together. Jesus, I thank you for your invite of hope, for this contrast of of a life that is cursed without you, barren and dry to the life that is full of hope and strength of, of favor of your favor and of your blessing 
thank you that you invite us into this place of hope. You invite us to this place of blessing. And we know and understand that your divine sovereignty is to be coupled with our response. So we want to respond. We want to respond to the gospel, Jesus, that you came to dwell with us. We want to respond by, by faithful obedience to you regular rhythmic ways of of delighting in you and being in union with you, reading your word, slowing down and Sabbathing, seeing your narrative through our lives and through scripture and to experience and to receive your blessings. Lord, I pray over everyone here that we would count our blessings, not our problems. That our eyes would be focused on you that our souls would be drawn to you and that our roots would go to you as our source of hope and of strength. Holy Spirit, would you convict? Would you correct? It's a blessing to be corrected by you. So I pray for that right now in this room, in this place, as we respond to you. Let's move around together. You can come to the front.